Well, if you have your Bible this morning, I invite you to turn with me to the book of 1 Peter. Uh, that's a tough book to find, so don't be embarrassed if you have to look to your table of contents. It's right near the end of your Bible. It's brief. It's easy to skip over. Turn to 1 Peter. Our plan today was to continue in our study of the book of Galatians. In fact, uh, the message focused today, Galatians 5, 19 through 21, I have been looking forward to uh, throughout the entire series of Galatians because uh, this uh, perhaps would have been the most important passage for us to talk about. I, I, I believe a lot of people's eternity uh, will hinge on their understanding what, what the writer is saying there, especially at the end of that passage uh, but just as I prayed and prepared this week, I felt that the Lord was leading me to a different focus today. Uh, but if the Lord allows, we'll be right back there in Galatians chapter 5 next week. So I would encourage you, invite somebody to church. We, we don't know what the coronavirus situation will be next week. Uh, we will have church, uh, whether it will be live or online. Uh, so invite somebody to either come with you or watch next week. That'll be a very important time. Well, today I want to talk about grief and suffering and the glory of God. And I thought that just fit where we are today and some of the things that people are so concerned about today. And so we find that in 1 Peter. And this will be a very simple message. It does not match what's in your worship bulletin. That's uh, the Galatians 5 message uh, but we're just going to read the first seven verses of 1 Peter 1. So it'll be easy to follow along in your Bibles. And I will read a verse and share a few thoughts. And when we get down to verse 7, uh, that's really where we're trying to get. And I think it'll be an encouragement to us today. So look with me in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those chosen living as exiles in dispersion, dispersed abroad, it says, in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, uh, Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. We'll come back to the foreknowledge of God in a moment, but the first thing I want you to notice is that this perhaps was the very first online worship service. Uh, Peter is uh, preaching a message, but not to people that are with him, but to people who have been scattered abroad. And so he, he writes this message that is found in the book of 1 Peter to these people who are all over the place. Now, there's an interesting thing to learn just right there. It, is, it has been a part of our history that the church and the kingdom of God has always flourished when the times were darkest. And so... In Jerusalem, uh, after the resurrection of Christ, there was such persecution uh, with the Christians. There, the, 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 it was such a dangerous time. It was so violent that many people had to scatter just in order to survive. There was economic oppression because they wouldn't do business with those who had come to know Christ and who accepted that Christ uh, had been resurrected and been people who were in these strong Jewish family units, were being kicked out of their family unit and homeless because they were following Christ. And so the Jews who were doing the persecuting thought, if we could bring enough pressure on the Christians, we can stamp this thing out. 
But exactly the opposite happened. When there was such pressure, when the times grew darkest, the Christians just scattered and the ministry scattered and the gospel scattered. And that's how the whole world was reached because the church flourished in difficult times. We're in difficult times today. We don't know what the next few days or the next few weeks hold. And maybe, maybe it won't be serious, but maybe it will be very serious. I don't know that anybody really knows. But this is the time for the church to flourish. This is the time for us to get out the message of the gospel. And we'll see that all the way, all the way through this passage. Well, look, look at verse 2 that I, that I began a moment ago. According to the foreknowledge of God... The Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. There's much we could talk about in this verse. We could spend the rest of the hour here and talk about the foreknowledge of God. And that would be a profitable thing to do. But, but here's the one thing I want us to get from this. God was not surprised about the trouble and the difficulty and the persecution that the church was experiencing. God was not surprised that these people were scattered. He was not surprised that there were problems. Let's, let's know this. There may be people who are panicked. There may be people who are surprised. There may be people who are filled with fear. But God is not surprised. God is in control. God knows what's going to happen. He knew what was going to happen. He still knows what is going to happen. And we can lean on him. We think about Romans 8, 28, that God works all things together for the good, for his good, to accomplish his purposes. And whatever this turns into in America and around the world in the days to come, this is something that God will use for his good and for his kingdom. And that's the agenda that we need to get in on. Look at verse 3. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have hope in Jesus. Why do we have hope? It's not because of our government. Now, we need our government to do important things in the midst of this crisis. And we should pray that they will have wisdom and that they will be effective in the things that they do. The government is important. But our hope is not in the government. Our hope is not in medical science. Now we need the doctors to take care of us and we should pray that they will be healthy themselves and effective. We need to pray for researchers that they can find a solution, a vaccine, whatever we need to do. But our hope is not in medical professionals. And our hope is not in hand sanitizer, right? Now, if you've got some, first of all, protect it. That's the most valuable thing uh, that anybody has today. Uh, but and use it, but our hope is not in hand sanitizers. Our hope is in the Lord. And our hope was in the Lord before this virus began, and our hope will be in the Lord once this is a distant memory. Our hope is in the Lord. Now, let, let's just, let me say something that'll seem insensitive. Uh, and, 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 and just forgive me before I say it, I'm not trying to uh, ramp up the panic uh, I, I'm not trying on the other end to make light of something that, that is a serious issue. Uh, but, but listen, every one of us is going to die. 
And the coronavirus has not changed those odds one bit. And our only hope in the face of death. And see, that's the message we need to communicate. People are fearful that, they're fa- that they face death now. They faced death a month ago. We all face death. We are guilty of sin. All of us are going to die. And the only hope in the face of death before this was that, was that Jesus Christ has died and paid the penalty for our sins. And, and by trusting him, by surrendering to him, our sins can be forgiven. We can be adopted into the family of God and we can have hope. Jesus Christ not only died on the cross, but he rose from the grave. He defeated death. That was our only hope and it's still our only hope. And so in the midst of this crisis, whatever it is and whatever it is going to be, let's remember our hope still remains in Christ. And that is a good hope and a sufficient hope and a hope worth talking about. Now look at verse four. He says, and into an inheritance, this is what we will receive. This is our hope into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. The word keep, kept there, it's a military term, speaks of keeping something inside the walls of the city in a strong tower so that it would be protected. And then look at the next verse. Uh, Protected, uh, kept in heaven for you, for you are being guarded by God's power through faith for salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. Nothing earthly is certain. Just think about that a moment. There is not anything in this earth, on this earth, that you can point to, that you can rely upon that is certain. The only thing that is certain is what God has given to us and what he keeps in heaven for us, what he guards by his mighty power. That's the only thing that's certain. And if we ever have been reminded of that, it's, we're reminded now. Uh, They canceled March Madness. Just think about that a moment. Isn't that, I read this morning that Walmart's gonna start closing at midnight. Can you, how will we function as Americans? If you think about it, um, I won't tell you what my wife said yesterday when I pointed this out to her, but with, uh, with no March Madness, no NBA, no Major League Baseball, The Masters Tournament has been canceled. What in the world are men going to do for the next six weeks? The only thing I can think of, men, is we ought to all go down to Hobby Lobby and find out what's going on there, that our wives keep going and we need to educate ourselves. There's nothing else to do. Nothing on earth is certain. Uh, and, And every time something else is canceled, we're reminded of that. Uh, our bank accounts are not certain. Your retirement account, my retirement account is not certain. The very freedom we have to travel, that's just a part of being an American, that I can go anywhere, anytime. That's no longer certain. The ability to gather for worship. I'm so thankful we were able to gather today. I, I am hopeful that we will gather next week as well. I am thankful for those who uh, are uh, watching, I, I checked uh, just a moment ago, a large number of people are watching. We're so thankful. 
but even the ability to gather for worship is, is no longer a certainty. Our health is not certain. Our retirement is, is not certain. Our lives are not certain. I, I think about uh, the parable that Jesus told in Luke chapter 12 when, when he talked about the man who had been prudent and careful with his money and he had filled his barns with, uh, with uh, uh, many years worth of uh, wealth. And then Jesus says, but in the middle of the night, his life is demanded of him. Now who will receive what he has put back? That doesn't mean we don't need to put back. It just reminds us that nothing is certain on this earth. The only thing that is unperishable, that is undefiled, that is unfading, the only thing is what is kept in heaven for us according to this passage and it's guarded by the power of God. And so that ought to both encourage us and it ought to challenge us. It ought to encourage us in this way. Let the stock market die. Let the virus spread. Now, I don't want any of those things to happen, but if those things both happen, what's most important to me is unaffected. Because what's most important to me and what should be most important to all of us is kept in heaven. It is my relationship with God. It is the forgiveness that I have in Christ. It is the certainty that I'll spend eternity with the Lord in heaven. That's where my wealth is. And so it ought to encourage us, whatever the headlines are tomorrow, they don't have anything to do with the true treasure in our lives. But it also ought to challenge us. Let us live our lives for what is imperishable. We, we've been given this object lesson in the last few weeks that you can live your lives for so many things that just really don't matter. They can be canceled with an announcement on Facebook. They, they, can, uh, they can go away with, uh, with an email from your broker. We, we've, we've invested our lives in things that don't matter. Let's invest our lives. Let this be a, a lesson, an object lesson, a reminder to invest our lives in things that, that really matter. I am uh, talking to someone a couple of weeks ago now. Uh, I said with, uh, he asked me about my college age daughters. Uh, two daughters in college, and, and he asked me what their plans were for the summer. And I said with a little bit of pride, probably more than I should have had, but I said, well, both of my college daughters have decided to invest their summers in the kingdom of God. They're both going on um, lengthy mission trips for the summer and uh, different parts of the country, and uh, they, they just decided to do that. Why mom and dad just... They called us. In fact, mom and dad, a little, little upset. They're not spending it with us, but uh, they, uh, they just decided to go. And this person I was talking to, I could see a little roll of the eye. I could, I could see some exasperation and, and uh, how, how crazy that a college student would invest her summer in, in something other than another beach trip or, 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 or laying around the house. And, but you know, all of us, ought to be looking for ways to invest our lives in something that matters, that is imperishable, that makes a lasting difference. Well, let's continue to read verse 6. He says, you rejoice in this. Now, let me just give you some First Peter background uh, before we get to the whole verse here. The, 
The book of 1 Peter was written to people who were suffering, people who were going through a difficult time, people who were suffering economic hardships, and people who were being persecuted by their government. Uh, We complain about our government sometimes, and we complain about our leaders sometimes. Nothing compared to what these people were going through with a truly wicked, evil, oppressive government. And so Peter is writing to people who, who... are where they are because they suffered. They had to flee their home because of persecution and suffering. And now they've landed in a place and found more suffering. And so he writes this, verse 6, doesn't this seem odd? He says, you rejoice in this. He says, have joy, rejoice in this. How could he say that? Because Peter understood that the basis of our joy, not our circumstances, It's our identity in Christ. There will be good days and bad days here on earth. There there will be days when the circumstances are great, and then there are going to be days when they are not great, when they're terrible, in fact. But our, our identity, our hope, our joy is because of our identity in Christ. And that's why he was able to tell these to rejoice. He says, you rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, You suffer grief in various trials. We're going to suffer and we're going to grieve. Uh, For a myriad of reasons, uh, he says a little later in 1 Peter that sometimes we suffer because it's the will of the Lord. The Lord wills that we will suffer. Uh, Sometimes we suffer because we're in a, we live in a cursed world because of sin. And things don't work like God intended for them to work. And there are diseases and there are calamities and there are natural disasters. We live in a cursed world. And and then sometimes we're going to suffer more directly because of somebody's sin. Somebody's going to do something that they shouldn't do and, and we're going to suffer. But we're going to suffer. That shouldn't surprise us. But in the midst of this suffering, we can still have joy. Now, I want you to see one thing about the suffering. Uh, He says here that it's temporary. Look at it again. Even though now for a short time. Uh, There's a verse in Revelation chapter 2. And I often use this verse when I'm uh, counseling someone who's grieving or going through some calamity. Uh, Let me just read it to you. Revelation 2.10 Uh, Jesus says to the church at Smyrna, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. So they're about to go through something. We don't know exactly what. But he says, don't be afraid. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you. You will experience affliction for 10 days. Now, if you were about to go through something horrible, wouldn't it be of some comfort to be told it's just for 10 days? I am, when I fly, I have to have tubes in my ears because I, I don't know, my head's broken or something and, and I can't fly without tubes in my ears or I'll, it's not, not a pretty thing. And so, uh, one time I was flying years ago and uh, another problem is, uh, when I put tubes in my ears, my, my body generally ejects them pretty quickly. Uh, so I have to get them done, uh, often. And so one time years ago, I was, uh, I had to fly, I wasn't expecting to have to fly, and I needed tubes, and I needed them quickly. 
And so I called around, finally got an appointment at Ohio State University Medical Center, somebody who's, you know, some doctor who said, well, I'll put tubes in on my way out the door kind of thing. And so I drove to Columbus. And, and so he was of the old school, and he didn't deaden your ears. He said, that's not necessary. You're an adult. You can handle this. And um, so... Uh, to make matters worse, and I don't know exactly how this works, some of you medical people will know, but he, he had some sort of camera or something that he could see into my ear while he did it, and he uh, broadcasted on a screen for me and him to see. So I don't know why he thought that was a good idea, but so I was watching as he was um, uh, jabbing a, you know, an ice pick in my ear, <laughs> and he told me, he said, this is going to be the worst pain you've ever experienced. But he said, it'll only last seven seconds. And I am so thankful he told me that. <laughs> because in the first three seconds, had I not known I was about halfway through it, uh, I would have uh, punched him in the mouth and run out the door. I mean, I, it, was, it, was, it was excruciating. But it was just seven seconds. And then when he got to the second ear, I, I just about decided I'm not, just not going to fly. I mean, this, is, this is it. I will walk or whatever. But I was able to do it on the second ear uh, because it was just seven seconds. Does that make sense? Don't you think you could survive anything for seven seconds? Now, we're going to suffer in life. Some of you have lost... lost um, parents or you've lost children or you've lost a husband or wife and you'll tell me after the service pastor you have no idea what suffering is and you're you're right i i don't i haven't been through those difficulties we, we, we may suffer as a result of this virus i don't know we may all lose our jobs we may all um run out of toilet paper i don't even know what that has to do with the virus but i mean things things could get bad i, I don't know any more than you know, probably less, but, I, but things, things could get bad. But I know this, God says it's only for a little while. And if we'll hold on, if we'll trust him, if we will let the pain, the difficulty, the hardship, the scarcity, whatever it is, if we'll, if we'll let it be the, the thing that causes us to hold more tightly to him and to know it's just for a short time then the suffering will strengthen our faith rather than drive us away. You know that some people, when they suffer, it drives them away from God. But when we know his promise, it'll pull us, pull us to him. Now, let's, uh, let's look at verse 7. That's where I've been trying to get this whole time. He says, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. First of all, he tells us in this verse that suffering proves the character of our faith. If you want to know the health of your faith, then just experience a little bit of suffering. You'll find out the truth about your faith, the truth about your maturity in the, in the Lord. Uh, anytime we, we are under pressure, it reveals truth. I'll give you some examples. If you wonder if you have a problem with anger, 
Wait until somebody cuts you off in traffic. And then you will know whether or not you have a problem with anger. That's how you tell, right? When somebody cuts you off, that's the moment the problem is revealed if you have it. If you want to know whether or not you really trust God, look at how faithful you are to give when your finances are strained. That'll tell you how much you trust God. If you want to know if you really have control of your tongue and the things that you say, wait till somebody questions your character or says something that's untrue. Then you'll know. Then you'll know. If you want to know if you are a true servant, as the Bible defines it, putting the needs and the preferences of others ahead of yourselves, wait till next time you don't get your way and answer that question. See, when we go through difficulty, it reveals what's true about us. And if you want to know whether or not you have strong faith, check the temperature of your emotions when everybody else is panicking. Listen, the world ought to panic, I suppose. Thousands of people have died across the globe. that's, That's reason to panic if you don't know Christ. And, but for those of us who know Christ, for those of us whose hope is in Christ, there should be no panic. And so difficulties will reveal the quality and the character of our faith. I'll be honest with you, if you're panicking, if you're just filled with fear, not reasonable fear, not taking reasonable precautions, but if you're just filled with fear, then that's an indicator that there's a sickness in your faith which is way more important than a sickness in your, in your body. Uh, suffering proves the character of our faith. He used the word in verse 6, the end of verse 6, he uses the word trial. Your Bible might say test. God allows suffering to come into our lives. It's a test. Well, why don't we take tests? Well, generally you take a test so that the instructor will know whether you know the material or the doctor will know what is going on in your body. The test is to reveal for somebody else what's the truth about you. When God gives a test, it works differently though. God already knows the truth of your heart. When God gives you a test and suffering is a test, it's so that you will know the truth that's in your heart. And this is the test this, this difficulty, the, uh, the, 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 the virus, the coronavirus, is, 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 is a test that indicates to all of us the real condition of our, of our faith. So suffering proves the character of faith. Suffering also, though, gives us a chance to bring praise, honor, and glory to God. That's the whole point of this. Do you see the end of verse 7? That we ought to... We ought to stand firm so that in the midst of this difficulty, it may result in the praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of of Christ. The church, as we've said before, should shine most brightly when the world is in its greatest darkness. I know what the temptation is when there's a crisis. The temptation is to focus inward, right? you could see that just on the run on toilet paper. And again, I'm not smart enough to know what that has to do with the virus, but uh, that's been in all the news, right? I, uh, I went to Walmart yesterday and I did not need toilet paper, uh, but I, I looked because I've seen the pictures online and sure enough, there's just empty shelves. There's no toilet paper. And uh, I don't know whether you should be stockpiling toilet paper or not. You can ask somebody else that question, but 
I, I think it is symptomatic of the fact that when there's a crisis, the first thing we think about is, oh, what about me? How's it going to affect me? I'll confess to you that this last week, I have spent way too much time sitting around and thinking about how does this affect me? How does this affect our church? How does this affect travel? How does this affect finances? How does this affect payroll? Listen, we, we need to be wise, of course. We don't need to let things unnecessarily catch us by surprise. But when there's a crisis, as Christians, listen, as a church, when there's a crisis, a, a kind of crisis that's, that's widespread like this, our focus doesn't need to be on us. It shouldn't be, oh, woe is me. No, this is our chance. This is a chance for us to shine. This is a chance for us to show the love of Christ. This is a chance for us to stand up and talk about the hope that is in Christ. Listen, church, this may be our best opportunity in a lifetime to minister to this nation, to bring revival to this nation. We may not have a better opportunity the rest of our days. This is it. The coach has called our number. It's time for us to get out and make a difference in the world for Christ. We don't need to sit around, woe is me. Listen, we're fine. We're saved. I'm going to heaven. Whatever, whatever happens, this is a chance for us to care and minister for the people around us. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. He says, you are the light of the world. And a city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all that are in the house. So in the same way, he says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Now's not the time for the church to cover it up. Now's the time for us to hold it high. We'll be fine. We'll keep the lights on. We'll pay the bills. We'll meet payroll. What we've got to focus on are all the lost people in this, in this city and, and the lost people around the world. Now's not the time to turn it back. Now's the time to turn it up. I think this may be our greatest opportunity in a lifetime to shine for Christ. And so I've asked our ministry staff to work on this even in the last few days, and they will do more. But I'll just share with you as an example. Uh, our youth minister, David, is planning to open our CLC, our Christian Life Center, over the next few days and invite students who are not uh, attending school to come in and be involved in some activities to give us an opportunity to minister to them. Uh, Jonathan, who handles our media and our communication, uh, he has created a, an update page so that people will be updated on the coronavirus and how it affects our church and how it will impact our services and our schedule. Uh, there's a new texting tool that we will get word to you. Uh, if you just want to write it down, text FBCNAC to 936-241-4646. 936-241-4646. We'll get more information to you later. But if you will do that, then you can get instant updates. Uh, if future services are canceled, and I hope that's not the case, uh, but Jonathan will be key in helping us get the word out. And even today, when we have so many people watching online, Jonathan's holding high the light. Uh, Melanie, our children's minister, has put together, a, she has created a, 
a, a document uh, to, to help parents sit down and have gospel conversations with their children who are fearful because of this coronavirus and, and all the things that they're hearing and seeing. And, and, and now's the time for parents to be able to talk to their children. And she has uh, worked to help make that more effective. Caleb uh, is working on a plan, our college minister, to stay connected to our college students even though they may not come back to Nacogdoches. And he's working on a plan to minister to international students that may be stranded at the university now for weeks and we'll be ministering uh, to each of them and looking for opportunities to have now gospel conversations that we could not have had before. Uh, Mark has inquired with the schools about how we can perhaps at some point be a part of uh, providing food for uh, for children and for families that, because they're not in school, will not have food. Me and Mark and Andre and Austin, those of us who are responsible not for an age group but for the whole church, will be focused on reaching out and connecting with people uh, in our church so that they stay connected over the next few weeks. Jeff, our administrator, is heading up a new ministry that begins tomorrow. Let me tell you about this. Uh, we're calling it We Love Our City Ministry. And we're going to communicate uh, to our city, to everybody in our city, that if you, because you are elderly or because you are specifically vulnerable uh, to, this, uh, to this illness, are not able to leave your home, but you need groceries or you need somebody to go to the drugstore, then you can call our church and people at First Baptist Nacogdoches will go to the grocery store for you. They'll get your stuff, they'll bring it to your house, they will deliver it to you, you can pay for it when they arrive, but we want to make sure that our church is a, is a lighthouse for Christ, that we're meeting the needs of senior adults and those who are uh, a part of the um, vulnerable population in our community, and, and, and we need you to sign up for that. Let me, in fact, give you some opportunities. If you would like to be one of those uh, who takes a few of those calls. We'll take the calls here at the church, but we'll make the assignments. Uh, then you just write that on your Connect card. There are Connect cards in all the pew pockets. and You drop it in one of the boxes on the way out. Just put your name and phone number and just put, uh, we love our city. And Jeff will know and he'll reach out to you tomorrow and tell you how you can be a part of this. Won't be any money out of your pocket. We've got all of that figured out. Jeff can tell you about it. You can also send him an email at admin at fbcnac.org. You can call the church. Uh, just reach out to us and say, I want to be a volunteer and I want to help out. And it'll give you a chance to stand on a doorstep and hand somebody some needed groceries and to give a witness about Jesus Christ. We want to make sure that our church is putting its best foot forward in this, in this dark time. Here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. If you look at the end of verse 7, all of this suffering will prove the character of our faith and if we, if we do this the right way, will result in the praise, glory, and honor of Jesus Christ. What can you do? To not sit around and say, woe is me, and, and find some more toilet paper and hand sanitizer. But what can we do? What can you do to show the love of Christ where you work and in your neighborhood and, and with people in our city? What can you do? This is it. We will not get perhaps a better time ever perhaps in our lifetimes to shine for Christ what? 
will you do? Heads bowed, eyes closed. Let me pray. Father, thank you that you've allowed us to gather both in person and online to worship you today. Thank you for the encouragement we find in 1 Peter 1. Thank you for the challenge. Let our church shine brightly today. Let us make, make such an impact for you and our community that as much as people are talking about the coronavirus today, may they be talking the same amount about our Savior in the next week. Let us be a part of that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. <laughs>